Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. On today's show, we dive into LeBron's new contract, FM Mecca, and how Nike is way more than just an athletic apparel brand. And make sure you stick around for our conversation with NBA legend and current jazz part owner, Dwayne Wade. From New Amendment and Metal Lock Media, it's the podcast elevating the athlete conversation. Always above the rim, never in bounds. This is Point Forward. Point Forward. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life, and that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. All right, Dre, let's dive straight into the NBA. We'll get into KD staying in Brooklyn for now, at least until the next reports come up. But let's first talk about LeBron James and that new contract. Two years, $97 million. And in my opinion, it's not enough. I want to see LeBron get $100 million per year. What do you think about it? I mean, I think we should carve out a, what is it? Uh, what is, how many years should it be? A 15-year, an 18-year? Like, how many years of uh, excellent service uh, where a player um, – can go above and beyond the salary cap without it affecting the team he's with in terms of, uh, you know, how about you get rid of the call it the LeBron rights? No more bird rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No bird rights. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And like, like, like Tiger that. Woods has it right where he won a certain amount of tournaments on tour to where he's exempt for the rest of his life. So he like he can play any tour event he wants for the rest of his life. He doesn't have to qualify. He doesn't have to have points. He doesn't have to, you know, follow the rules of anyone else. Like they had that. It's like the Tiger rule. Once you win, I don't know, 20 tournaments, 30 tournaments, whatever it is, you, you're exempt for the rest of your life. You can play wherever you want, whenever you want. And um, I, like I think it would be dope if the NBA had that, where you, you have to be like one-on-one. So, you know, you got LeBron, you got Steph, KD, and I'm putting Chris Paul in there. I'm putting, I'm putting Chris, Chris Paul in there. I, okay. I'm putting Chris I'm Paul in there. That. I'm not mad at that. Considering everything he's done, absolutely. I, t- I totally dig it. I, I like that idea. But let's just, let's say 10... T- Ten years of excellence, or maybe, maybe a feel. You understand what I'm saying? Like a feel type. Yeah. Well, thing. well I mean, you know what I'm saying. Well, I mean, only say, only reason why I wouldn't say ten years is because I think the once you like the years of service are going down on average because the turnover is high. But those high yeah, end, true. those high end guys are there around. Like they're, they're getting like fifteen years in. Like they're playing longer than ever before. Like the high end guys. So, you know, I don't want it to be a disadvantage to you know the smaller market teams. The, you know, like like Giannis. Could be in Milwaukee for, you know, uh, 13, 14 years. Okay, you did your job. Like you, you, you put Milwaukee right. on the map. Like Loons from Milwaukee, and he loves Giannis because he's like what he did for Milwaukee. Like, like he, he, he got keys to the city. Like he can go any hood, you know, on any Mar- on any Martin Luther. You know what I mean? So, okay, yeah, so nah, Giannis, thirteen, I, 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 thirteen, fourteen years. Get the Nances. Is there like a brother? So, for instance, with Giannis, is it like, hey, bro, let's go for the Nances as well? <laughs> Like he got he he need that little minimum every year until I'm gone. Is that 
Is that this is, is that the secret something? sauce that <laughs> Carl was talking about? What what is wrong with you? But that that is a great <laughs> that that is a great point you make. Okay, the Nazis. Yeah. Okay, all right. Because uh, because my brother because it, it's something it's somebody yes else no. I think too. I, I don't want to go there, but you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I, I got somebody in mind, but I don't, I don't want to say the name right now. I, I'll give him a break. <laughs> no, no, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I, I want to hear it because I got to know. Who no, because it? you know what? I'm really happy about this guy. Like he's proven himself as an NBA player, and he's with the Phoenix Suns now. And I always would say it throughout the year. He had to prove himself. Like he heard the noise. You know, like the Nas. The Nazis right, hears right. the noise. Like, okay, y'all think I'm only on the team? Because when he's on the court, he plays with a confidence and he plays with a hustle. He plays with a, yeah, greet, a the, grit. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. And, good, and yeah. Damian Lee, you know, everybody will, you know, you hear those chirps, even he hears it. You know, it would be in my mentors on Twitter sometimes of, you know, uh, he's only on the team because Steph. And I would see him working every day. And, you know, I can tell he was working because he heard the noise and because he's a hard worker. So I'm actually looking forward to him playing. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind that caveat either. You know, it's, 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 you know, guys have their guys. I, I, I seen I seen some guys on the bench. You know, like a Randy Brown was that guy for the Bulls. But when he got in the game, he was a dog. He was picking dudes up ninety four feet. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, for sure. And he almost got the championship ball in what ninety six. Bro, I wanted to kill Randy Brown for that one. I ain't understand. I'm like, bro, what you doing? He gotta have. Like, he gotta what, have. What you doing? Like, what are you? What are you? What? I'll grab. Like, what are you doing? What? What did you think? So so okay so not to get too far away from from the uh, so so yeah, my so <laughs> so how should it be structured? Should it be the guy can get whatever he can get, or should there be a, a, a should it be a hard cap on how nah, much I think a guy whatever. can get? I just think for one, if it's really like that, it's only so we start at a hundred. I'm with it, and that's it. And then like, and then you take it from there. If Giannis might. Giannis might get a hundred. Chris Paul might get a hundred. KD, KD might be like, bro, I want 150. That's between I'm them. Cool with that. You understand what I'm, I'm saying? Cool with that. All right, yeah. Because at the end of the day, people don't understand. Like you say with Giannis, you say with all these situations, like these people aren't only like energy shifters or culture shifters, but like they're just literally changing the economy. Like, you know oh, what I'm saying? Oh, for like, sure. When you go, yeah, when you go into Milwaukee, you see a whole new infrastructure around. You know yes. what I'm saying? Like it looked, yes. it looked all right around there. Like, oh, somebody came back to the city. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that type vibe. And I, I think what Brian did in Cleveland for all those years, literally, when you see him in the city, what's going on in, in the economy, what's being built up, you see all this construction. Yes, like, damn, this is this, this, is, a, this is a Lebanon effect. You know what I'm saying? The Lebanon, the so, Lebanon clause. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I, I think I think that goes out saying because they're literally invaluable. Who can literally exist, play a sport, and your whole economy is going to change? And, and I think a, a, uh, another example outside of PGA would be the MLS. Where the MLS did it where they had something called the designated player. Um, if I'm reading this right, the total salary cap is around $3 million. But you can give three guys as much money as you want, and it only counts as two hundred fifty thousand against the cap on a twenty-five man roster. And it was specifically created for uh, David Beckham. So when we want to get stars, uh, stars from Euro- the European stars from the Premier League to play over here in, in America, that's the way to kind of get around that. So it's it's, be- it's basically the same thing. Yeah, like it's, you know, it's Ibrahimovic and all that, like all those dudes, like. We- they paid David Beckham enough to, yep. you know, have his kids rolling in the drop top phantom in Beverly Hills. Speaking of that. wild kids, uh Drew Brees. Drew Brees. 
Bro, them kids, they had their shysties on. I, so I learned a new term this week. Everyone is called the shysties, and I didn't know that that's what the, what is that, the mask? The, the, that's a mask. The overhead yeah, mask. and uh, The first sign you can't trust somebody. And uh, Drew Brees' kids had them on. Uh, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> and they were dripped out in the shoe store, too. Yeah, uh, dripped out, man. That's dope. But they said they, they, they belong in New Orleans. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of staying in the basketball lane, um, you mentioned it. You mentioned it. When you first brought up the topic with KD, um, I'm, I'm super excited to hear KD uh, is going back to uh, Brooklyn. Um, I, I saw KD in the weight room, man, uh, so I'm excited. Uh, Kyrie uh, was just hearing, uh, and they said it shut down. There's two things. It shut down, uh, I guess, any activity with Kyrie because Kyrie's supposed to be secured and coming back as well, and they're going to tag team and do what they got to do this season. Um Let's talk about your West Side uh, brethren, West Side Chicago brethren. Yeah, it's supposed to be a statue up soon. Pat Bev, what up, baby? You got, Pat Bev making a lot of, bro, low-key, historically, Pat Bev is making a lot of noise considering everything considered, bro. He's really a big name. I was out and about yesterday when I saw the trade, like, people around the area were like, bro, Pat Bev's going to the Lakers. I'm like, bro, this is wild. Somebody just stopped my dinner to say that shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? I felt, I felt exactly but what you're I'm, feeling. I'm hyped for him, bro. You got to salute him, bro. Literally, he made his name. He, you yeah, know what I'm I, I actually think it's a good trade. I do actually think it's a good trade. I do think it's going to help the Lakers get better. It's going to give them uh, a safety net in terms of uh, the other moves they're trying to make um, with that team around that position, with whatever they decide to do. I think, and, and not to say that uh, I think he's better than anybody, but... They're trying to move other things around that roster, and I think uh, Pat Bev's going to help them out tremendously. Uh, they still got some work to do because all them, all them, I don't know if all them could play together, so that's going to be interesting. But uh, Pat, we, Pat, Pat, you got to chill out, please, please. Uh, you're doing, a, you've had a great summer, so let's let's end it now while you're ahead. But uh, when Pat said uh, KD was holding everybody uh, yeah, up, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, that's, that's the Lebanon. So so basically, yeah, yeah. Pat Bev was saying. You know, nobody's saying nothing about uh, KD holding up everybody's summer where guys have to wait uh, until he makes his decisions because teams are on pause. And that's the that's the nature of the business. And that's yeah, for sure. You, know, you just said it. We just talked about the Lebanon effect. He should have a special clause. He and, you know, a couple of other players in the leagues had a special clause. Once they have a certain amount of years of service, they can go wherever they want for however much they want against the cap. And that's just star players make the league. It's like any other sector. You got real estate. You talk about you talk about real estate. And uh, 1% on 95% of real estate, uh, and that's across the board. And we talk about different sectors. And VC is probably, what, 4 or 5% of all VCs uh, uh, have 90% of the best deals. It's just, it's just how it goes. You know, it's, it's uh, from our first episode, big money, little money never told big money what to do. It goes right, yeah, it goes right back to that. So uh, let's relax. I love Katie's uh, uh, commentary on Twitter. And... Uh, Hashtag blame KD, and it, it just is what it is. We look at that thirty for yeah. we look at all the thirty for thirties and all the great players. Yeah, some guys they became uh, they were sacrificial lambs. It just, it just is what it has it is what yeah. it is. And no, it is. It's true. <laughs> yeah, you just you just up the wrong time, man. Like I went through it too with Dwight. I was calling Dwight saying, "Can you please hurry up?" But I, I mean, I understood yeah, the business. Any, I mean, that's that's a potential championship. Is KD? They, they show who they care about. Regardless, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not bad in, in, in any sense. So I understood that. You know, Pat Bev, obviously, with all the good things he does, sometimes he might have his phone too much. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs>
right, Dre, we got to switch it up from basketball, go to a different topic because this, this story is crazy. Just recently, Capitol Records signed an artificial intelligence rapper by the name of FN Mecca. But then with 10 days, they had to drop him and issue an apology because everybody was upset due to the fact that it was culturally insensitive and uh, it fit a lot of weird stereotypes. So have you heard the story? What do you think about, you know, the, the artificial intelligence game and, you know, people trying to push the wave? And then obviously making the rapper look like somebody from, you know, the SoundCloud era that was black. You know what I'm saying? Listen, man, you just said something. I've been thinking about this. When I first saw it, I'm thinking this, is, this isn't real. I first saw it and I heard it. I'm like, wait. The N-word was trending on Twitter. <laughs> it was spelled out N-I-G-G-A. I'm like, what is, what is going on? Yeah. What is this? Yeah, why was and that? And yeah, it was be? FN Mecca. And I'm reading up on it now, and so an early video depicts the character being beaten by white police officers while in prison. And although the character, <laughs> yeah, bro, that's wild, <laughs> bro. That, bro, the whole thing is OD. I'm like, what is this? A, a Fifty Cent? <laughs> oh, and although the character was voiced and the music created by some black creators, Factory Now apparently has no black stakeholders who stand to profit from its use of black stereotypes. And we've been talking about this from the beginning. So the gatekeepers did their job. We got them up out of here. Um, this you said it was uh, culturally insensitive, and that had me directly takes my mind to. LeBron wanting to have success and excellence of a certain culture. And when he said their name, it was viewed as, you know, he he had said something blasphemous towards that group and he was only bigging them up. And right, right. so for it's finally, you know, there's some action behind, you know, someone being so uh culturally insensitive to our culture. Uh, although it was a make-believe character, so you know, uh he won't have any um mental uh instability stemming from him being dropped from the label so this is this was a very interesting one man <laughs> but but low-key i saw earlier today um the dude who did the voice behind it he was pretty upset because he was kind of uh he was saying the company came to him was it factory, factory now New, i believe factory now and they came to him like hey do you want to collab do music for this you know artificial and this AI rapper, FN Mecca. And he's like, sure, I thought it'd be a great way to, you know, kind of switch over, collab and everything like that. He said the second he did the songs and stuff, they literally dropped him, stopped calling, picking up his phone and everything. Phone calls and everything. So he's like, man, like they literally tried to finesse me uh, out there. They told me they were going to give, they told me they were going to give me equity and everything. And he's like. I see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah. So. It was wild, man. So, I mean, it was, it was obviously a black dude that was okay with, you know, <laughs> going along with it. And he was trying to do it, you know, to kind of cross over. So, I'll do more my music and then help this right. way. I think it'll be right. a good luck. But, you know, I think uh, it's just a bad idea works, doesn't work. Once the, once the engine's bad or whatever, man, the car ain't going too far. You know what I mean? Yo, this is wild, yo. Who signed them? Capital Records. I got to talk to Capitol Records. Records. Bro. Who the Capitol Records have? It's almost like this was like CB4 in the metaverse. <laughs> bro, the, bro, the fact that they had Buddy in jail getting beat up by white cops is wild to me, bro. Right. <laughs> like, what? Why can't, like, with green hair, bro? Why couldn't he just went? He could have just been an R&B. You know what I mean? It could have been anything, bro. Rock and roll or whatever. But he, he getting beat up by cops. It was OD, bro. Yeah, OD, OD. <laughs> And Capital said they finna make a quick. Can y'all please stop doing this, please? 
We begging y'all. It's it's really getting out of hand. It's just, I, I just don't understand who thought this was a good idea. It's one of them. But A&R. but you know when we always have these you know uh, situations that come to light, and we always say, you know, it was almost like the uh, make America great again. You know, it was it was the Trump supporters, and you know, you know some of the rallies that 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 group had. What was the name of that group? The Proud Boys. So, but I did hear something um, that was that was interesting in terms of at least we know who they are. Like they used to be hiding. You know, it was like closet. We call them closet yeah, racists. Yeah, yeah, true, was, true, true. Well, at least we know who's who. And so, you know, they can, and then I've always been on, not been on, but I've always had this thought was, you know, I've always asked that question, you know, did uh, desegregation hurt us more than it helped us? Because, you know, in terms of Black Wall Street, when we, you know, group economics, we had to practice during segregation. So we actually, we were actually had a stronger spending dollar within our own communities during segregation. Now, the other laws weren't right, but that, that particular part was interesting. So. You know, we're, we're, I would love to have that conversation somewhere down the line. We got to do some more homework and studying, you know, historically on the space. But uh, this was this was wacky. Like, how, like we thought we got somewhere, and then we go right back to the beginning with, you know, uh, as my man Carl says, the, the sheer idea that you could degrade black music to an algorithm without humanity or soul uh, is racist at the basis level. It's just wild. Uh, all right, T. Let's uh, close out the topics this week with a little guns and butter for uh, for everyone. Um, we want to talk about the, the massive impact that Nike has culturally and how it's allowed the apparel brand to grow into something much bigger than just a, an apparel company. Um, as you can see, uh, Nike um, is the largest clothing and apparel brand worldwide by ten billion. So I believe what is the market cap of thirty three billion and Louis Vuitton is second at twenty two billion. Um, so, uh, we've, we've had a lot of conversations about Nike and, uh, the success that athletes have had partnering with Nike, uh, and, you know, just commercially, you know, are you a bigger brand with them? Guys take less to be with them. How hard it is to start new brands. Um, you know, let's break that down. This is 50th year anniversary for Nike. You know, we can break that down, but then I also want to ask, is there, do you think there's opportunities um, that are lying in a wait where someone can, you know, come and steal some market share, uh, you know, similar to what Kanye did for Adidas. Uh, although Adidas is about to change CEOs, I just read, actually. Um, and, you know, Steph's starting to try his own brand, you know, um, New Balance with Kawhi. But let's let's break down. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's break down Nike first, though. I see, bro. I see Kawhi, bro. But, like, I'll say this, bro. Nike's so popping. They made Steph, like, not made a full lot of stuff, but when they made stuff uncool. When he dropped his shoes, yeah. left Nike, went to Under Armour. Like, you know what I'm saying? Legi- legitimately, he couldn't even hold it. Like, who could really steal any type of market share from now, Nike? I will bro? say. He literally set the tone, yeah. bro. Well, I mean, I'm saying Steph, Steph came out like on on fire, two-time MVP when he's dropping the, the cookout twos and shit like that. Like, literally, when, when it's coming, like, he... He couldn't make. He couldn't move now, the needle, say, bro. Me, that's Steph Curry, bro. The Nike, uh, I think, is revenue is thirty three billion. Their market cap is one hundred and seventy five billion, and then uh, Louis Vuitton is second at twenty two. Um, mm. But I do think Steph scared the life out of 
Nike. But it was the timing, I think, more so than Nike and Steph not being able to continue, you know, being, you know, that ghost that that comes to haunt you. I think it was a switch over to the athleisure wear, where we all started wearing, you know, I got on some Birkenstocks right now. Uh, you know, we 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 wear New Balance 550s, you know. Uh, like the athlete shoe isn't the staple of fat fashion right now. Like when we were growing up, like it started with your Air Jordans first. And, you know, I, I think the question we, we should answer first is how right. has Nike managed to take over the sports world, you know, the way they have. And I think it was them making you feel like it wasn't about the, the, the sports. It was you finding your identity on a day-to-day basis and, you know, sport being your way of finding your inner self as well. You know what I mean? And you can, you know, I, I talk yeah, to that's real. That's you know, real. VCs all the time or, you know, uh, C-suite individuals, um, people that work for, you know, Fortune 500 companies, they can go be, be going into a big meeting and they're saying, I'm listening to Jay-Z and this is one of my favorite Jay-Z quotes going into the meeting, like I'm getting myself ready. And you know, or using sports as a way to motivate yourself yeah. to, you know, get through a deadline. So it's it's all about community. And Nike has just done a great job of not just being a sports and apparel company, but being a storytelling brand. Yeah. And I mean, community in general, but they dive into so, so many different communities. And, you know, what I mean, it takes some of the best minds from there and kind of, you know, what they say is not so much trying to you know, right. make the most out of shoes to make the most out of ideas. So when they get the time sacks or when they go get the Virgils or what they do with the Travis Scott's or Drake's, right. uh, you know, the Megan Rapinoe's and all, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the stories they're able to tell or even Mars Blackman literally is, it goes not only inside the culture, but it kind of, the story elevates everything around the shoe. And when you break it down, you're like, bro, why did I get these shoes? Or, or when you look down at your kicks, you're like, how the hell did these shoes even come about, bro? Some of the kicks, like Virgil, like the off, like Virgil off white and everything. Like, how the hell is this even a shoe right now, bro? Like Nike's supposed to be doing like sports shoes and Virgil right. one of the biggest sellers. Travis Scott's, I'm waiting for his Jordans. Like Drake, like you know what I'm saying. Billy Eilish is putting out crazy stuff, and it's like, bro, and, she, and, none, of, and none of like the the hot the culture of his hottest crazy, kicks right know? now aren't performance kicks. So, so like you're saying, it has nothing to do with actually helping you perform better as an athlete. But I think it's that mindset that comes with, you know, the brand. And I think they've done a powerful and an amazing job of uh, pushing that their brand and that messaging across. But why hasn't I got a question for you? Why hasn't Drake shoes done as well? I bro, I to be honest with you, I don't know because at the end of the day, like we'll rush. We'll rush to go get his out when you want, but we'll rush to go get he's his out. He's a great music maker. No, 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 of course. But like literally his shoes stay on the shelf and some of his packs are straight, but it's like I literally don't see him on the street like I think. Or like even the OVO brand. But then you see like the Travis Scott Cactus Jack joints, like them things, shoot. I'd be having to call in the favor some days <laughs> to go get them bad boys. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like Yeah. The Christian Dior Jordan collection was crazy. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I don't. I mean, bro, Billie Eilish's Jordan well, collection. Yeah, she had a 15, crazy, right? Bro. The, the Jordan, hardest Jordan shoot itself. Fifteenth. Oh <laughs> that's my what I'm saying. gosh, bro, Billie. I love. Maybe it's the sauce, bro. I don't know. It's 
Shout out to Chef Curry, but like his shit wasn't selling either for nah, a reason. His, like we love him, but like went crazy. Did it? Yes, every the kid barbecue twos. What they say, the cookout low twos. Like that's those, where. <laughs> that's where you know Nike. I think Nike was pushing. I think Nike were the ones pushing, uh, pushing that agenda. Like they, I think they named them the cookout twos. I think they they, yeah, they, 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 they went viral because the of Nike. Yeah, Nike yeah. behind the scenes with the data. Talking to Instagram, talking about push the algorithm, push the algorithm, push the push the shoe out, push the shoe out, and it was more I wonder, like a- <laughs> I wonder who's behind that, like that conversation, like, hey man, t- tell them about this bullshit. <laughs> tell them right. it's, it's full of shit, ain't it? Like, like who back there, like legit? One man said cookout too. Yeah, but I think he just he hit a Steph hit a crazy wave with his first yeah, shoe. Yeah, and I think the second one. There's like they they made they might have made they might have made too many and they kind of like set on the shelves a little bit and then they just trying to figure it out and then you know logistics it's hard it's hard it's hard uh, with consumer goods man it's really hard to sell a product for a really long time man and yeah. the it's like music now you got to just keep making something new yeah. new, new new over yeah, and over right. music is music is easy you just like we're on our podcast you just turn it on hit record boom and push it out but shoes like you got to go through the factories you got to you know you got to hit the correct margins you got to predict who's going to buy what in 6 months it's crazy. yeah and nike so, bro and like just even like the little stuff that yano yanis uno packs like just the just the special edition joints you see the you see well, it's not it's Nike still, but JT he about to do the for what is it the Mustang 14s the player editions like just allowing oh, wow. people to tell I that story yeah bro and like Katie the Aunt Pearls and all that like the stories the stories behind all these shoes are crazy and they're fun you know what I'm saying and like I think that's one thing that Nike has always done a great job of it's like hey remember this and they they kind of you you go get a pack, pair of Uno Giannis's. You've been playing Uno right. since you were a kid. Like you understand what I'm True saying? Story. Like that whole the whole idea is just is is wild and it, it could be simple, but it's like genius, bro. I'm looking up these uh oh. Huh. These Jason Tatum 14s. Them bad. I told him, man, I said, man, send me a pair of 14s to rock. And if you really messing with me, send me a pair of 15s wearing the men's league. And they the lows with the uh patent leather tips on the toe box. Yeah, while people playing, bro, you know when they do patent leather, a lot of people like to a lot of people like to hit weddings and, and proms with the patent leather. True story. So I'm like, bro, you low key fake trying to do your thing. Oh, he went crazy on these. He went, and, and I and I honestly like uh, I like Luca, your favorite players. Uh, oh, I can't say your favorite players because you got to say JT's your favorite player, but inner <laughs> <What? the, the laughs> <laughs> ET. I like I like uh, Luca's new Jordan too. They, they I like him. Steph's, Steph's next shoe is going to be cold, too. I've seen it. It's, it's dope. It's but let dope. me say this. So when we say culture and everything, who, yeah. <laughs> culturally, who's between those three? Just, just rank them. I already, ranked, I already said Steph's the best player in the world after the finals. So I'm giving okay. him that. But culture-wise, Steph, JT, Luca, rank them. Who's going to? Because I feel like Steph might be the third third in that lineup. Right now? Talking, yeah, just in the sense of shoe selling and everything. I think. Well, I think I, I still think Steph sells more shoes than them too. Because JT don't J, JT doesn't even have his own shoe, and uh, I think I think Lucas Lucas coming. I think Lucas coming. Uh, Lucas coming, but I, I don't know, man. Steph has still got a a, a hold on it. Um, I mean, no other two. And uh, that's interesting. That's interesting because I don't think uh, uh, what's her name, Naomi Osaka. Oh yeah, I, I don't dope. think she was with Nike at first, but when she she's with Adidas, she's Adidas. 
She went to Nike and just took her off. the roof. Serena. Serena was with Puma? Something first. like that. Serena's yeah. with Puma. When we're Nike, took off. They say, I mean, and then they build her as like what? Nike can legit be like the greatest athlete ever. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, the, I got a question for you. What is it? The guys who signed with Jordan, do they ever like take off? Like, name a Nike guy that, I mean, name a Jordan brand guy who has just went crazy in terms of taking off. Like Carmelo, Carmelo yeah, but did his thing. Yeah, them shoes are shitty. Yeah, them but shoes he went, shit. But, but he went no, crazy. No, 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 he did, no, he did his thing. I'm just saying at the same time, it's not his fault. It's not their fault because there was enough time removed from MJ. That's what I'm saying. And like, how, how much time is it going to take? You think it's enough time right now? I think so. Okay. I think so. And I think when you break it down, bro, I'm not even trying to do it, bro. They're, their lineup and roster is stupid. I don't know how they got all these young dudes. Yeah, they got them. Tatum, bro, unbelievable. Luca, you know what I mean? Like Zion Williamson, like, bro, it's Zion, a- Zion, Zion, we forget about Zion. Yeah, bro, yeah, it's yeah. a joke, bro. And yeah. like, these, bro, I'm like, Jason's a man, like, he's going to sell. Bro, Luca's Ooh. a man, dog. Like, you see the magazine cover, bro? Every every, every time you see his face, it'd be like, yeah, I'm that dude, basically. Yeah. Give, like, me a baj- give me a bajillion dollars because you're going to make money with me. Like I've never seen somebody so sure. But we we haven't spoke about one guy. Y'all know I like to speak about Not everybody likes to speak about this guy. Kawi? Like, he is the biggest shoe seller right now. Yeah, absolutely. Paul George was at one point, and now, yeah, Kyrie, right? Kyrie's been there for a while. Like Kyrie is out selling everybody. And his stories are crazy. His shoe, <laughs> the stories behind his shoes are crazy, bro. They're, even when he even when he killed his own shoe and said it wasn't good enough, it still it came good, out. Bro. He still was moving units. The lows were yeah. dope. His contract was ended with Nike after this year. I didn't like that. I hate that. Uh, what's gonna happen with Kyrie with with his shoe? Man, you better go online and just say them bad boys. <laughs> What's he gonna do? No, I'm saying, I'm saying, if you're Kyrie and you don't go back to Nike, what do you do? And you're this big, you're the, you're like the number one shoe guy. You, you, you. Everyone follows your lead. All the kids have your shoes on. You go to tournaments, even across the league. You don't see guys wearing other guys' shoes. You might see a couple Kds here. You might see one or two Lebrons. Yeah, no, the Kyrie, Paul Georges. Yeah, you gonna see the Kyries night in, night out on every every you floor. Go see, I guess you gotta go to Adidas and holler at you know what I mean. Go through yeah at Adidas, bro. I don't like it neither. I like Adidas, New Balance. Adidas, Adidas, Adidas is not. Adidas is more of a culture streetwear brand now. I think they've gotten a little bit away from basketball. They've cut. Yeah. They cut half their basketball roster. Yeah, you're and, right. And uh, they got Trey. They got uh, Dame. They got uh, Donovan. They got James. So they got all uh, guards. I don't. Yeah, I don't. And the only ones I like really, I don't like them for shoe selling. I only like Dame for shoe selling. Maybe Trey. Yeah, I like Trey's shoe. But I don't like, I don't really like none of them to sell shoes. It's hard to sell shoes. So it's not like I don't like the guy, but it's really hard. Like James can't sell shoes at all. And he running through the league for like a four yeah, or five year stretch. Yeah. You look at Embiid, Embiid, they stopped making his shoe. Yeah, of course. I mean, who want to see a t- yeah, yeah, size yeah. 29 ass shoe? That's not, <laughs> a, that's not nice to the <laughs> eye, bro. Yeah, it's not athletic. Yeah, the fuck? Some shoes be up to people's calves. New ba- I would go to New Balance, bro. I would go to New Balance. And finesse from there, I, but but I need you know what I can go to New Balance and treat it like a startup, and I want ten percent of the company. If I'm Kyrie, ten percent—that's a lot too. That's a whole lot. No, that's a lot. But this is the only thing I'm saying, bro. That when people think they're going to leave and like turn it up, it's a Kyrie shoe, bro. Like Kyrie is obviously pushing it, but like 
Nike's doing the story and from what I know designing. I know Kyrie helps design it, but like it's a story behind like can he replicate that? I think it's more about distribution. Nike's done a, such a great job. They they took themselves off the shelves of Foot Locker. Foot Locker stock yeah, got killed yeah, because Nike's yeah. and then Nike took themselves off Amazon as well. Amazon, that was a big deal. And and, and and Nike says we're going direct to our consumer. And when you know exactly what your consumer wants, you can give them what they want sooner. So you know how it is in fashion where you're always six months to a whole year out. You're usually a whole year out. So you're trying to predict in one year exactly who's going to like what, what color, yeah. the height, the, the mids, the highs or lows. You're just guessing. But now Nike has gone straight to their consumer and said, what do you want? And they figured out a way to produce it and get it back to you in four to six weeks. And that's what's the game changer. And if somebody yeah. can replicate that, Kyrie can go there. If Kyrie can get something back to his consumers and his fan base in four to six weeks, game that's over. That's real. That's real. Guns and butter. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. And I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast. And yes, we are in the thick of the college hoop season. Our pod runs at least three times a week and covers everything you need to know. From the power conference team to the mid-majors, the scoops, the stories, game predictions, previews, huge recaps, everything. We cover it all. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your pods. Today, uh, we got a, one of my favorite uh, players has a little bit of not a little bit a whole lot of um history with where where you come from where yeah. I've spent a lot of time from and just doing some amazing things we've had a great conversation with Isaiah Thomas yep. and uh, this gentleman's name came up in terms of you know the Chicago landscape of you know the high school celebrity the high school yeah. or that comes from certain guys and some guys get it in high school other guys you know may not and uh, this particular uh, individual arguably go down as one of the best players to ever come from Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, we can dig into, you know, Chicago will really take your high school career over everything else. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yours is clicking at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But uh, some of the accolades, um, gold yeah. medalist, uh, three-time NBA champ, 13-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA, three-time defensive All-NBA, uh, future first ballot Hall of Famer, currently part owner of the Utah Jazz. I think that's my favorite, favorite thing to say, uh, Mr. Dwayne Wade. Welcome to the show. 
Listen, I appreciate you guys making time for me. I know y'all booked and busy, man. So I'm glad a former player can get on the show. Hey, man. Appreciate you coming on for real, for real, man. We're looking forward to this. So, No, no doubt. doubt. And, and I guess, you know, to kind of get things started, let's go back to our roots. You know, we, we've always having those uh, conversations about Chicago. We were just talking about uh, Cappy Pondexter yesterday or today. Yeah, today. Uh, we were having some conversations about um, Will Bynum as well. Candace uh, Parker. Candace Parker. Uh, Sean Dockery was a huge name in my yeah. class as well. You know how all that goes. And there's a little bit more history uh, with us as well. Uh, Larry Butler. And I know, <laughs> I know he, he used to motivate us using your name a good amount. Uh, yes, yes. He's, he's talking about you a good amount. You, D-Wade, Q. Uh, I know you just on the knucklehead. So, you know, going back to your youth and on the south, south side of Chicago, you know, kind of, because a lot of folks don't know unless yeah. you're really born and bred in the Chicago area, how, you know, where you come from around Chicago means a lot. Uh, but just talk to us about how, you know, being from the south side shaped you as a, as a person, as a basketball player. Yeah, man, you, you just said it too. Like, where you come from, you got, I mean, this is almost in any community, any neighborhood, like it means something. And so I grew up on 59th and Prairie. You know, that's, that's what I use for my production company. That's what I claim. But also too, I grew up in Robbins and in Robbins, Illinois, even though it's um, the inner city, it's the inner city of a suburb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. and so I moved with my dad when I was nine years old and I tell my whole journey with my mom going to prison and then my dad getting custody of me. And I moved to the suburbs. And so now you would think that I lived in Pleasantville. Like yeah. you would think I'm like the softest dude ever. Because right. Yeah. The perception of, oh, you don't go to a city school, you go to a suburban school. Right. And so I had to fight through that as a Chicago athlete, probably still, because yeah. like even some people be like, oh, do you wait from Chicago? Because they don't give you that credit if you ain't go to Whitney Young right. or Young or one of them dog schools. There, so, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I always took a lot of pride, you know what I mean? Growing up in Chicago, man, like my brothers and I, we just drove around every, like, this is when you could go to every neighborhood. We'd drive around every neighborhood trying to find a game. Mm-hmm. We seen five guys or more on the court, we we getting out and we trying to hoop. You know what I mean? That was just the way we were. So a lot of my toughness and the way I played just came from like playing in the streets of Chicago. I played in the streets way more than I played in gyms growing up. So uh, I give a lot of my credit for my style of play just from the city. Mm-hmm. So obviously growing up in Chicago, besides, you know, looking up to Michael Jordan, obviously I'm from there, you know, we all have a crazy, you know, basketball disposition. When you're getting into the game, what were you looking forward to the most and who were you padding, you know, your game after besides obviously MJ? Yeah, I mean, you know, man, growing up in the inner city, man, it's like you have to find things to celebrate. Like, you don't have a lot of, of small moments. You yeah. damn sure don't have a lot of big moments. Right, 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 right. And as a community. And so the Chicago Bulls was our moment to celebrate something and feel like we were a part of something. Mm-hmm. And so growing, I felt I feel so lucky to have grown up in, um, I mean, I could say it. I mean, probably the, the greatest team ever. I mean, Iguodala might have something else to say about it. but <laughs> Not really. I, I'm, I'm on your side. <laughs> Um, ever, you know, from my eyes, right? And I got a chance to watch, you know, the greatest player in my eyes play. And so I felt so lucky, like it being in my backyard. And, you know, was I the typical athlete, like growing up, like body-wise and game-wise, they probably wouldn't have said, hey, he's going to be in the NBA. Mm -hmm. But I got a chance to watch a guy and watch a team and watch players that I just admired so much that I just wanted to go out and do everything that they did. 
And so I'm a big Jordan guy, which everyone knows, but I was a big Allen Iverson and Kobe guy. Wow. Those were my three that I kind of followed and tried to like, mm-hmm. you know, saying pat my game after because like, you know, I, I thought all those th- three different guys' games was something I can reach that was attainable for me um, in a sense. So those three, man. So kind of walk us through, you know, you had three stops in the Midwest, you know, growing up and then playing in Marquette and then, I, you know, have an opportunity to come back as a professional and play for the, the Bulls, you know, kind of describe to us how you viewed how your overall view matured and what did it grow into in terms of how you saw the Midwest, how you saw, you know, kind of the city of Chicago, just the area through each stop? Yeah, man, I think as a kid, right, like I'm looking at it from the eyes of, you know, a kid in, in communities I said. And so I don't, I don't really see, I see, I see gangs, I see drugs, you know, I don't see the positivity in the city at all. I see all the negative in the city. You know, my, my, my family, like, it's, we're no different, right? Yeah. My family was in gangs and in drugs. And so for me, I was next in line to be in that same conversation. Um, and so as a kid, I kind of seen it just from that lens of all the bad things that, you know, that was going on in Chicago. And then I got a chance to go to Marquette and I got a chance to see it from an athlete standpoint where people were actually taking care of you and like lifting mm-hmm. you up, like, mm-hmm. hey, leave him alone. Right going to be something, yep. you know what I mean? And I got a chance to feel like the community and support from like the inner city, like everywhere I went, it was like, yo, he going to Marquette. Like, don't foul him too hard. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it it meant something. And so I got a chance to see like the love and like the, the community aspect of, of Chicago when I was getting ready to do something in my life and then get a chance to, you know, to, to go to Marquette and go to NBA or whatever. I got a chance now to come back to Chicago and I got a chance to see, you know, how I can really make an impact in the city. And now I got a chance to look at it from a different lens and, and just see how, okay, what kind of impact can I make? How can I bring this community together even more? And so that's what I tried to do when I was there. And so I, I've been able to look at it from all different lenses and see the beauty in it each, you know, at each stop, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, we talked before. I gave you uh, much flowers on your commencement speech recently at Marquette University. You said you talked about solitude and self-awareness. How has that played a big part in your life, obviously, but, you know, revisit, you know, what you're saying. I thought it was such a amazing part in building who you, you know, telling the youth and creating a life you want and building who you want to be if you're able to comprehend those two things. Yeah, I mean, uh, you just said it, bro. It's, it's really creating the path that you want, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it starts, for me, it starts here first yes. before it starts anywhere else. And so I had to, I've had to my whole life is I've had to, you know, be a visionary, right? I've had to have my moments of solitude to just think, you know what I mean? To just, you know, whatever your relationship is with God, yeah. um, you know, and so still to today, my, like my, my, I get up two hours before everybody in my house uh, so I can have my, my moments of solitude, whether it's coming in the gym for an hour, whether I'm sitting outside, you know what I'm saying, on my, my red chair drinking coffee. <laughs> like I need those moments to come back to myself. I need those moments to clear out everyone else's chatter and I need to be able to have solitude and clarity to, to really to be able to plan it first in my mind so I know what steps I need to take, you know, in, in the physical. And uh and self-awareness, man, we all know how important that is. If you if you if you've been an athlete and you played at every level yeah. uh, that we've all played at for the most part, we've all had to be self-aware at some point right. when it comes to oh, this guy is this guy better than me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy can do something I can't do. Yeah. You have to be self-aware. And it's a lot of players who are not self-aware and it takes them a little too long yep. before they understand or they see it. 
And that was one of my greatest strengths is that I was always self-aware, always knew where I was. And I never, even though my ego, my pride maybe took a little longer than I wanted, but it always allowed me to be able to see, see something bigger than me and see outside myself. Well, you go, go back to that the self-awareness and, and confidence plays a big role in that. Because I feel like you and I uh, have similar journey in terms of, you know, we didn't really get recruited like that until late, you know, and I see that, you know, you, your, your our offers were Illinois State, DePaul, Marquette, you know, yeah. and I didn't get recruited. Until, I only played one year AAU, so I was super late to the scene too. So Bradley, Illinois State were the teams that were looking at me. And mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you you talk about <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> so you talk about <laughs> not ever. <laughs> right, he was he was a man. Now but y'all straight. <laughs> you know, you talk about that that self awareness. You know, did you feel like you were better than what was being offered, or did you just use it as a, a motivator to prove yourself? You know, once you got to whatever you know was out there for you. I mean, I think we all do, right? Like. Mm-hmm. We all feel like we're better than what's been offered to us mm-hmm. because it, all we see, and even though now you get a chance to see the world, like I couldn't see the athletes out here in the world. I couldn't see that it was six, seven, three dudes overseas that was coming next. Like I didn't know that. Right. right. So all you see is what you see and what you see who you plan against. So yeah, I was, I was just as good or better than everybody I was playing against. So I thought I should have gotten more, maybe more love or, or more attention. But now that you, when you get to see basketball in the whole, like I was at summer league the other day, it was two teams on the court and it was 50 players on the bench. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is two teams. These are 50 guys trying to make it in this NBA yeah. with only a few slots. We're not talking about the whole world we're in and right. in the rest of the league. And so you realize how hard it really is yep. to, to be that guy that grew up with that, that dream that you had when you were a kid to say, I'm going to go to Duke. I'm going to get drafted number one. And like, you know, we all have these. And so for me, it was a motivator, of course, right? Like I, I always wanted to, when I was younger, I always wanted to prove people uh, wrong. Like we always try to do. And then as I got older, it stopped being about proving people wrong and it started being about proving myself right. Mm-hmm. Because we all had that moment where we tell ourselves, we tell our friends and we look in the mirror and say, I'm this and I'm that. And, you know what I mean? Instead of trying to prove other people wrong, it was like, you know what? How about you become this and that since you say you are? Right. You know? Thanks. And, and so that was that was more so my journey. But like, yeah, now I use this motivator. I mean, DePaul came to my house. Pat Kennedy came to my house and told me I wasn't good enough to play into my junior year. Mm. I was in the NBA by my junior year, I think. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I went to the league after my junior year. So, I mean, it was just, it was the journey for me, man. And uh, did I like it at the time? No, I didn't like only... You know, Bradley was in there as well. I had Illinois State, Bradley, DePaul, and Marquette. I didn't like the fact that I had that. But at the end of the day, I like the fact that I did have one team at least that did want me because I've seen it the other way as well. Like right. growing up in the guys who have these dreams and they don't get to, 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 to continue them. They don't get to further them because of education or because of, you know, a previous mistake that was made or whatever the case may be. So I still felt lucky that I did have a scholarship offer from from schools, even though it wasn't a lot of schools in the top school. Yeah. So when did you kind of, we talk about like the beginning of the underrated, but when did you kind of like know? Because you go from discussing being like, I just want to go hoop, play, in, uh, you know, play on court, try to get recruited and stuff. But now it's like your favorite players watching Iverson, Kobe, you get signed by MJ. At what point were you like, all right, now this is kind of getting crazy and 
was it a little bit before Shaq came or was it like, you know what I mean? Was it had it no, been lit or was it after the final four swagger? Like what? No, like, you no, know no, what no. Mean? That game against Reese Gaines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. Oh, Louisville. Reese Gaines. Reese Gaines was that dude. People forget, you know, some guys may not, games may not translate, but they're, they're a problem in college. And I was a freshman and uh, we lost to Kansas in the Elite Eight and who ended up playing Melo in the championship game. But I remember, never forget that Reese Gaines game. And like he got drafted high because he played well that game, but yeah. like he, he got drafted fifteen to the Orlando. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we bro, we had some battles, and you know what's crazy about the game you're talking about is we played in Marquette like nine days before that game, and Reese Gaines hit a game winner on me. The only loss I've ever had in Marquette. Oh he's wow, Milwaukee, and it was a like it was a big moment. He came down and drained in my face. So nine days later, we in Louisville, and the conversation now has shifted to like. He's the player of the year in the conference. He's this, he's that. Man, I'm fighting so, words. <laughs> Here we go. And so I had to go out there and do my thing. But um, you know what, Ev, I think it's just, I think for all of us, it's, it's different moments in your career. It's not one moment. You know what I mean? Like, it was moments in college where I was like, ooh, like, I'm nice. But then you run up to somebody who's bigger, you know what I'm saying, and yeah. a little bad. And, and then once you get over that hump and you're like, oh, I'm better, I'm bigger and better than him, you're going to keep running into people that challenge you. And so yeah. I ran into people that challenged me until probably like when Shaq came and really inserted that level of confidence in me that I could be one of the greats. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, I needed somebody that wasn't great to be able to show me what it's like to be great. Yeah. And I, I'll give him so much credit for what I did on the court at a young age in my second year in the league, but also what I started doing off the court. A lot of it came from being around a guy that was doing it. And yeah, so I just had to like follow suit, but also just interpret it, you know, my own way and, and put my own spin to it. But when Shaq says, hey, you one of the best two guards in this game, you're going to be one of the greats. Wow. I mean, I don't need no more juice than that. Yeah, like, let's go. <laughs> That's like, I'm ready. So what was that feeling like? You know, even your rookie year, you had some successful moments in the playoffs. You know, I, you talked about it on Knuckleheads going up against BD, but you gave BD everything he wanted. It almost felt like he tapped out. It was like one of them great box, boxing matches and the young boy yeah. just came through. Yeah. And you follow that up with an amazing performance, you know, uh, just keep him continuing to build and then you win a championship. The first one in your class, you know, considered one of the best draft classes ever, <sighs> you know, and then, you know, you, you three had spent some time together in the 04 Olympics as well and having to go through that. Walk me through what was your thoughts in terms of I won the championship first before these two great players that were kind of the headline of the draft. And I think this is when you went off into the stratosphere and you just kind of catapulted into that trajectory as well. And I will yep. say, I know the difference prior to, before he won the championship, he used to rock the hat with the do-rag cocked to the right a bit. Afterwards, you start rocking it straight ahead. It started, <laughs> it started becoming more business savvy and, <laughs> and personal. <laughs> we, we was watching. Yeah, I was watching. We was like, watching. Oh, okay, now, all right, this is official. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I, I mean, I, you know what I did? Let me tell you guys what I did, man. This was, you know, like the, the pettiness of, of stuff. And it's like all in good fun, but. I remember before the uh, season where at some point I committed, LeBron used to do this bike-a-thon in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And you guys may see like pictures come up on social and you'll see like T-Mac and Melo and all mm -hmm. of us would be at this bike-a-thon. And I remember I committed to doing this bike-a-thon. Now his bike-a-thon was probably 
let's say it was within five days of winning the finals. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the last place you want to be after winning a championship in Miami is in Cleveland. Cleveland. <laughs> but that was one that was the first place I wanted to go. Cause I'm like, I'm going to be like, hey bro. So uh <laughs> uh what's up <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. i'm going back talking about my ring and so like for me that was important to be to be the first one in my class i knew when once we got shacked and i was the first one that i felt it was in position like once you get shacked you automatically know like all right at that time it's championship or bust mm-hmm. and so i knew that i was in position first and i was like i better strike now yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying and yeah. like I, you know waiting because I knew how great the class was. I knew yeah. how great number six was over there in LA, mellow and so forth. So for me, man, I, I was the first one to put in position and I wasn't going to let that like slide. You know what I mean? I was going to give it everything I had. And so everything I had ended up being, you know, obviously an epic finals run. Um, but yeah, man, I wanted to strike first. Like I wasn't a big name in the class like those guys. And so I needed something to separate myself or something to put me, yeah. you know, on a level. And winning the championship at 24 was that for me. Wow, 24. That's great. Yo, so, so during that time when you went up to Cleveland, is that when you and Brian, were you guys kind of like, all right, I'm going to battle, battle you? Or was it kind of like a talk, like we're going to join together? Or was that just a surprise thing before the big three reshape, you know what I mean, the NBA? Yeah. You know what? I'm not even, bro, I never thought we was going to play together. Like, it, it never crossed my mind. Yeah. Like, playing in the All-Star games or playing in summer games or playing in the Olympics, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But playing in the NBA season together, that's all, that's 82. That's way different. Like, you know how hard that is to think about playing with another ball-dominant guy? Yeah. Another ball-dominant guy? Yep, right. It wasn't as many shots as it is now. The pace wasn't the same as it is now. Yeah. So, it, it looked even, you know, harder to even think that. Yeah. So, it was nothing that was on my mind until free agency right. and 2010. You know, when we went, when we started going through the process of free agency, it was none on my mind until then about even playing together. A lot of people think like we came up with it. I wish we were this smart. A lot of people <laughs> think we came up with this plan. Like, you know what I'm saying? We were building it from 04 to 08. And right. We figured it out in 08. Like, we weren't that smart, man. We're, you know, you're we're like, no, yeah, I'm trying to kick his that. ass. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. thanks for the credit. But uh, it just kind of like really, really, it was just, it was a perfect storm for. I think all of us, man, like I had one early and around the time 2010 came, I was what? That was about four or five years that I've been losing. You know, ignorance. once you win the championship, like the rest of the season is just seasons. Like you yeah. want to get back to the championship. Right. And you've never won it. You think you know what you're missing out on, but you really don't. You know what you're missing out on when you win it. And so right. I knew that I wanted to get back to that feeling. LeBron at that time was like, MVP, scoring champ, all these things. And those individual accolades is dope. But then at some point they become, there's no feeling in it. Like yeah. you get nothing when the season yeah. ends. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're feelingless in a sense. And so he was looking, like he wanted something more than just those individual accolades. He wanted what everybody said, you got to have to be a great player. You got to have championship. And he realized he couldn't do it on his own. And so like, we were all, CB was in a phase. We were all in different phases in our careers. And it's just that he did an amazing job of mm-hmm. making sure they can get three max players. Nobody have ever done that at that time. And it just was the perfect storm for all of us. But you did have to, there were some sacrifices yeah. in there. Yeah. And I'll never forget the lockout. It was 2011. And we were having some conversations and, you know, it was always the sentiments that, 
you know, who's who's doing more of the sacrifices. And I remember an owner, you know, someone said, you know, we're sacrificing. And then I remember the eyebrows of three guys, they eyebrows raised, like, hold on, time out. We sacrificing the most, mm. you know, in terms of we put this team together and it was you, LeBron, and 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 CB. Y'all really sacrificed, you know, and it's a lot of conversations on how much should a superstar player get in this league. David Falk came on a pod and David Falk, I couldn't disagree with him. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, Steph Curry, LeBron, you know, he names like a handful of guys who would play the same way. They play as hard as they can for a hundred million dollars or if they made five dollars. And, mm-hmm. you know, he spoke about you as well. That's what made me think about it. But he said, you know, Steph's just as big as Neymar. Steph's just as big as, you know, uh, you know, Ronaldo, yeah. big as Messi. And those guys are getting $100 million a year. Uh, Mbappe just got a three-year, $300 million Mbappe deal. Mbappe got friends. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. what? He, he got pretty much $300 million. He gets to choose, like, the, the coach, the coach, the athletic the director, the socks, the laces, the shoes. Like, you know what I mean? He, 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 he basically has... Three-year deal. Yeah, $300 million. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of talk to us about, you know, did you guys talk to each other or was, you know, you know, the Heat are the, one of the the best at in terms of having the plan in place of how to make this thing work in terms of salary? How did you all decide how you wanted to divvy it up or you just said, hey, we'll let them handle it and, and, and we want to go out and win these championships? Yeah, yeah, I mean. Because they were coming to Wade County, so, <laughs> so you know. Yeah, what I mean? yeah. It was, listen, it, I, I'm not going to say like, we look, we look now and say, okay, we won championships and so everything seemed great but you know it was definitely tough in a lot of different ways i mean it was tough to give i think i gave up 17 or 20 million Mm -hmm, right like i didn't like now as someone who's on the other side of it uh i didn't have to give that money up (laughs) you know what i'm saying like i could have pushed the envelope a little bit more i could have made them spend a little bit of that bread right like Mm -hmm. it was a lot of things that at that time as a player you really didn't know you just know that this is what they said needs to be done and this is what we want to do Let's get it done. And so we all had to sacrifice financially, first of all. Mm-hmm. And and you and, you did. and I always say, like, people mm-hmm. like to say, hey, D-Way sacrificed the most. I like to say, we all sacrificed. You D-sacrificed the most. Yeah. Right? Like, you, I, I remember being on a call with UD once we decided we were going to do the, you know, me, C, and, and Brian. And UD was like, well, ain't no money left for me. Like, I got to go get my bread. And that didn't sit right with me because I'm like, man, we about to enjoy all this success. And my brother came who helped build this. He mm-hmm. can't be a part of this. So mm-hmm. they go let they go more money. We all got to take less because we need our guy here. Right. And so the sacrifice started even before we got on the court. Mm. It was about, you know, financially sacrifice. And when we look at the game today, I ain't seen one player get no money back. I'm seeing everybody get they full. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. The guys <laughs> no going to get they, no the whole back. thing. Yeah. The whole bag. And I don't, you know, and I don't blame <laughs> them for it at all. I remember Eddie Jones would tell me. Back then, I think Eddie, when we came in, Eddie had like a $90 million deal. Mm-hmm. It probably was a nine-year $90 million at that time. <laughs> right. It was, it was, a, it was right. a lot of bread. And Eddie would say to us all the time, young fella, get your money. Get all of it. And I never really like understood it, right? Until like we we was forced, we was faced with this moment of giving money back. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't something that, you know, mm-hmm. was was common. That wasn't something that we celebrated, was giving money back. Um, but it's something that we did to 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 ensure ourselves that we can all play together. And that's what we thought we needed to do. And so the sacrifice started there, man. And then you guys know when it comes to basketball, it, it's not even about like sacrificing. It's about, hey, we're trying to win a championship. We're trying to accomplish something. 
this is just what needs to be done. And as we went through years, we figured out who was, you know, who was ready to take more of a leadership here, who was more to take more of a leadership there, who got better in the offseason. CB starts shooting threes. Now yeah. we got to run yeah. to get him threes. Like, yeah. so the sacrifice when it came to shots and stuff, that was for everybody. Yeah. Like LeBron probably took less shots than he wanted to take, even though he had the ball more. Mm-hmm. He probably took less shots than he wanted, or he might have had the ball less than he wanted, or he might not have got the ball late in games as much as he wanted. We all had to go through that. But the the fun in it was actually going through that and and coming out of that and and realizing you can do something that it seems impossible or what people say you can't do yeah. or something that just it's just hard to do. And we all came out of it, you know, later, like, man, we accomplished that. And that was tough. Obviously, the money, we talk about the shots, the money and everything like that. I go back to your commencement speech at, you know, Marquette, and you you bring up your own personal one-on-one with your brother where uh, LeBron, we're talking about, you know, the solitude and kind of, you know, self-awareness when you're fully giving up your team, basically, to give LeBron and be the leader. Like, that was a big move because when you think about the thousands heat, you think about Dwayne Wade, like I said, Wade County and everything like that. And in, in this day and age, most people wouldn't even consider doing right. that. You see a lot of guys team up and they've been friends from when they were younger and legitimately aren't cool anymore. <laughs> so like for you to be able, you, you know what I'm saying? It's happened a few times in the past few years. Yeah. yeah. So when that came down to it, what was the toughest point of tying that around? Like obviously not saying an ego, but your ego's involved, like yeah. endorsements and everything going back. The NBA was still kind of like a one mad, very head honcho type league. It was before we were really doing a team S type vibe, True. you know? Yeah. I mean, listen, no one around me, like no one, like <laughs> my, my whole team, everybody was like, why this is Wade County. Like, and I was obviously very still good. I was a good player yeah. still. No one really understood why. And I can't say that like I had all the answers, yeah. but what I did know is when you play in basketball and you play on a team that has, you know, championship aspirations and it can actually win a championship. It's a feeling that you have every day in the locker room, the bus rides, the plane rides. Like you feel it. You feel when you're part of something special. That first year didn't feel special. Mm. It felt like we were a bunch of guys that were just got together that were talented, that were trying to accomplish something that, you know, was that we never accomplished together. And it was it was hard, bro. And so after going through that first year for me, what I realized is that if we were going to get to where we really ultimately wanted to, the guy that's six, nine that can handle, that can guard anybody, that, you know what I mean, like that can take over games. Like he had to have freedom to do that. And he didn't have it the first year because it still was Wade County. He was still trying to get me the ball Mm. a little too much. He was still overthinking. And we couldn't have him thinking that way if we were going to accomplish what we wanted to. So immediately my leadership, if I was a leader, that, that was the point of my leadership, understanding that as a leader, you don't always have to let the lead in the front. Sometimes you can walk side by side. Sometimes yeah. you can even walk behind. It doesn't matter. There's so many different ways to lead. And so what I what I said to myself at that time is we got together and we talked about the scoring titles. We talked about the uh, the MVPs and the All-Star games and how much those things didn't matter to us anymore. The only thing that mattered was actually completing this goal and accomplishing something that as kids we all dream of. And so I had to take my ego and I had to check it. I didn't leave it. I just checked it at the door. And I just was like, hey, it's your show. I'll figure it out. Don't worry about me. Like, one thing I knew is I haven't always been a star. Like, I've been a guy who's played multiple roles on a team. Mm-hmm, so I knew right. I, I will figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can back cut with the best of them. 
Like I can offensive rebound with the best yeah. of them. I can get steals with the best of them. Like I can, I'm gonna get myself involved in yeah. the game. I wasn't one of those players that needed somebody to get me involved. So I had some comfort in that as well. Well, we mentioned earlier you're a three-time all-defensive team. And, you know, obviously you're a great two-way player. You know, speak about the importance of being a two-way player. And do you still see that's a, do you think that's a lost art form in this game in this game now? I mean, do I think so? I mean, I, I definitely do. I mean, yeah. I'm not out there, so I can't say how hard it is to guard these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really it, – defense is just effort. It's just commitment, right? It's just, it, it's just extra effort. And for me, I was just – I mean, from Jack Fitzgerald to Tom Crean to Pat Riley, like that was just embedded in me that you had to be mm-hmm. – you know, you were going to be the leader. You are going to be the star player. It was an example that you had to set, and it wasn't just on one end. It, it was on both ends of the floor. It was off the court. It was in the locker room. So for me, it was no other choice. Like, could I guard a guy for 40 minutes and still give you 40? No, that wasn't my role. Right. But I'm going to do my job throughout the game. And in those last five to seven minutes, I got you. Like, I, I can lock up, yeah. you know, or I can make it hard on you. So I just think it's just, it's just effort, bro. It's just really understanding that your teammates is watching everything you do as a leader. Right. And if your teammates watch you go down there and you can score 50 and you can get 10 assists on the other end, but you don't make the effort on this end, then you lose respect. Right, right, right. You cannot lose respect in your locker room as a leader if you're trying to accomplish something, you know, that's that's way bigger than you. And so for me, I didn't want to lose the respect of the guys that that I that I never felt that I was above. Like I never felt I was above my teammates because I have a little bit more offensive talent. Like we all, I saw us all on training camp first day running lines together. Yeah. All yeah. tied as hell together, all yeah. lifting each other off the floor. So I've always understood the importance of, of the team sport aspect and the individual accomplishments and accolades come from team success. And that's just the way that I roll. Uh-huh. It's something I've never, I've never heard you or any of you all speak, you know, the big three speak on in terms of the scrutiny. And I think it may have started with you guys. I mean, you had a whole network build a headquarter down there, you know, ESPN yeah, yeah, set up yeah, shop yeah. in Miami. I remember that. You know, that that never quite happened. You know what I mean? Like, they had people moving down there for you. They had a crew dedicated to you. That was the first time, like, crews were dedicated to a certain team. Like, they were, it was a crew yeah, dedicated yeah. to the Warriors, and now it's a crew dedicated to the Lakers, dedicated to yeah. Brooklyn. But you you were the first in that. Did you, you know, then LeBron's statement on not one, not two, not three, you know, there's a lot of excitement in that. Like, I get all that. Like, I, we were doing the same thing. Right. But right. I, I don't think we understood, you know, the other side, the hate that was coming with all that. How were you guys able to, one, process it all? And, you know, there's no way you could prepare for it. And just walk me through the psychology of going through that constantly. Like, you know, you guys were a road show. It was just constant coverage. And, you know, how were you able to, you know, I know it's heat culture. And I know, you know, Spo and Pat, you're locked in. I, I, I lived that. But I don't think anyone quite understands the psychology when you have to deal with individuals every single day trying to figure out a way to creep through. And I think they enjoy seeing us fail and they feel like they have a part of it. Like I said something that bothered D-Wade. I said something that bothered LeBron. I got a moment through this and just having to deal with that every day. Yeah, I mean, it was, like you said, I think at that time, that was the first time that we seen it in in our game. And maybe they had it in LA with the Lakers. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but in the in the new game, that was the first time we experienced it. Like literally, it was a heat watch. Right. LeBron James had orange juice at nine eighteen. Yes. It was yeah. literally like everything we did. And 
you know, yeah, we we're like, we thought it was cool, right? Like, oh, this is cool. Like, we're, we're young guys out here. We're young, we're rich, we're famous. We're playing the sport that we love. Like, this is cool. And then the other side steps in, the, the, the you know, the hating side, mm-hmm. you know, the, the side that, like, everything you do, even if you ain't done it, they make it seem like it's like people say stuff about you and you're like, wait, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. <laughs> right. yeah. How do y'all, me and LeBron never had that conversation. Like, you just watch people meddle, right? That's what they, our grandmas yeah. called it. Stop meddling. meddling. We watch people meddle in our business and it wasn't even a business. It was tough, man. But what I, what I, what I love to say is I felt that that's where he culture comes in, right? Mm-hmm. right? Yes. It's because Spo, Riles, Fizz, like our entire coaching staff, they preached what was important to us. And, and the message was always, it's bigger than us. Like, right. It was always, it wasn't about the now. It was about the, the right now, the 20, the 10 years, the 20 years, the 15 years removed. Like we're, we're doing something that's, that's for our legacies, for our family's legacies. Like we can't be so into the, into what people are saying about us now, because this is what we're doing. What we're embarking on is about the future. And it's bigger than who is bigger than an individual. And so we all had that, that, that mentality that, you know, what? it doesn't matter what they said about me, him or her, like we all together. That's why you see me and LeBron show up at press conferences together my, our first year because we were together. If he yeah. had a good game, bad game, yeah. we were taking the questions at the same time as leaders for our team, win, lose, or draw. And so that was just kind of our mentality. It's like we showing up together. It doesn't matter what people say about us, but I won't say it wasn't hard. That first year, we we were like we played outside of ourselves. We were like we wanted to like they were calling us these big bad people. So we wanted to be. We wanted to be those people. We walked right. around with that swagger, like we are the villains. When we we're not, we're not villains. Right. Yeah. But we walked around with that, like you know what, we villains. So let's step into that. Let's step into that role. And it was just not a fun year playing basketball, trying to be a villain when you know, like we all want everybody to love our style of play. We yes. want them to love, yeah. you know, the things we stand for and what we do in the communities, etc. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything we did was wrong at that time. Yeah. And so it, it was a very tough year, definitely. Yeah, we just spoke on that during that time because you guys kind of got like the reputation, like prima donnas and whatever else occurs. And it's like, man, I, whatever you say, these these motherfuckers play hard. They play hard. Like, they play hard. <laughs> so I don't know what prima donna or whatever, whatever else is, but they're not telling us the truth because they play hard. I remember sitting there like, bro, these dudes, like you said, play like they don't got a dollar in their pocket. Yeah. It was like, one of the most unbelievable things I said, bro, this is a, a highest level and these dudes are playing hard. So, I mean, yeah. much respect to you. I, I know that was a tough time, but we noticed it yeah. <laughs> for sure, you know? So, past all that, obviously, um, you know, prior to that, take us to the top 75, NBA top 75. You, oh, got, you obviously got a hell of an award with some of the best players ever to do it. And, you know, a lot of uh, Chicago, Chicago people, you know, that was able to make that list, but definitely... I was hyped to see you make it because obviously you're, you know, a big, big time player growing for me growing up. Probably one of the most humbling individual moments of my career. <laughs> I didn't know it. I didn't know it was going to be. Yeah. Like I said, I, I've never really been, you know, we all want to do well individually, but I've never like played sports for the individual. Right. I've always played from what I fell in love with. And it was the, the team aspect. And, and I've always been okay with like not getting the award. Like somewhat like I remember when I was trying to get MVP one year and I was I was going off the defensive player of the year the same year in 08. Mm-hmm. And I came in third in both of them. Mm-hmm. Then I came, then I was on like second team all defense. And I was like, wait a minute, 
I came in third in defensive player of the year and I'm on second team on the yeah. I was like, you know what? These awards don't mean like these yeah. awards stupid. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't they don't make sense. Yeah. And so that was the only year where I jumped back into individual because I was coming off an injury and like mm. I wanted to prove something to the world and myself in 08. And then they just proved to me again that individual awards meant nothing. And so the 75 was probably the first time since then that I like really cared about something individually. And I remember, man, like Steph and I, when we were about to walk out with the guards at the back, it was Jordan. It was magic. It was supposed to be Kobe. It was Steph. And it was me. And Steph and I sitting there, like we're hitting each other, like little kids. Like, yeah. That's Mike and magic. Like, like we feel in the moment, like as we, as they call the names out, you hearing, you know, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaq, you like, wait a minute. Like, it's getting real. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, man, and I said this before, like, when you put everything into something and you put everything into the sport that we all have been playing since we've been kids, and you guys know the, the work that goes into this that nobody will ever know yep. and ever experience and how hard it is. And when you're able to walk away from the game and you've, you've moved on and it's since, like, I, I died and went to basketball heaven. Like, I fell into basketball heaven when yep. it was over. And that's what the top 75 felt like. I was privy to conversations that I've like that I've never been privy to with some of my favorite players interacting, not interacting, whatever the case may be. <laughs> and bro, I was just sitting there like a kid. I didn't have none of my family there. Like that was literally a selfish moment for me where I didn't want to have to worry about getting pictures for nobody with somebody else. Or I just wanted to in- embrace it and just, you know, indulge myself into the moment. And I was able to do that, man. It's, it will always be one of the special moments of my career. That's beautiful. And, you know, we talk about player ownership a lot, you know, in our discussions. And you sort of become the poster boy of, you know, how the process, I guess, is supposed to, you know, go down. It was interesting. It was a place like Utah. And we've had Ryan on. Uh, it was one of our favorite conversations because yeah. he just kept it real. His journey was amazing. What he's been able to build with his family has been amazing. And then obviously I've, I've met him a few times before he was the owner. So I know what type of person you're dealing with. But you know, just kind of walk us through what that process was like. And then did it happen sooner than you thought? You know, was it one of your you know ultimate goals and, you know, just how you were feeling through the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think as a as a player... You know, we all would love to continue our relationship within the game of basketball. And in a perfect world, we all would love to be a part of ownership, right? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like you've reached the highest in the sport. As a player, now what's the highest outside of that as a businessman? And that's that's ownership. And so it was always like something that I was hopeful of, but it definitely wasn't something that I felt let me, that, that I felt was coming. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually uh, on a call with another team around the time that, that I got a chance to talk to Ryan. And it was really for me just really under, trying to understand what it even meant to be a part of the ownership group. Right? right. Mm-hmm. We think we know until you get inside and you're like, oh, this is <laughs> way different than I thought. <laughs> but this world works on relationships, man. You know, I yeah. was um, yeah. I, a couple of years ago before I, I took ownership in the jazz. I, I did a camp in San Clemente called um, the Invite, mm-hmm. where I would invite players in the NBA up. and We were trained together, both on the court, off the court. We'd talk about business. Uh, bring different people in from business, uh, you know, businesses around the world to talk to guys, all this. And Ryan was one of the guys that came up. And so we just, we built a relationship. We golfed together. You know how many relationships 
um, that you build on a golf course. And they're just, and they're not built for, hey, let's do business together. Right. It's they connected. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. And once you stay connected with people, you realize uh, that it's a lot of like-minded, you know, you, you guys are like-minded in a certain way and y'all just connect. And so Ryan and I just connected from that standpoint. And so when I got the call, because a mutual friend who is a mutual friend of ours, Clark, Clark Miyasaki, Ryan and I, and thought that we would be great partners together when Ryan got the ownership. And I remember kind of uh, blowing Clark off a little bit, like, bro, it's Utah, bro. I'm like, I have no, like, that don't even make sense to me. Right. <laughs> and I wasn't thinking about even getting the ownership. I was just really trying to figure out, like, what was the next steps for me as I had just signed with TNT. I just got into TV. And Ryan flew to my house. He's like, bro, can he fly up? And I was like, cool. And so, like, you know, this this guy who's this billionaire is flying into my home. Like, this means something, right? Right. And so I, I sit down with him. I have dinner with him. And we just have an amazing conversation. It wasn't all about the jazz. A lot of it was about, I seen, I seen Ryan's passion for his state, right? I seen his passion for mm-hmm. Utah. So I was passion for, you know, kind of, you know, I ain't going to say change, but evolution. Mm-hmm. I seen mm-hmm. his passion for evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I seen an opportunity to grow with a business partner. This was, you know, as as a young uh, entrepreneur, man, you want to be able to to grow with someone in this space. And Ryan was 41 years old. I was 39 at the time. Uh, other part, the other partners in the Utah Jazz was around the same age, 41 and 42. And so I looked at it as an opportunity to actually grow with business partners as well. And Ryan and I talked about that. We didn't just talk about the Jazz. We talked about other things that we can accomplish together. We can do together. Um, and we've been doing those things. So for me, man, it was an amazing opportunity for me to to get with uh, with partners like you know Ryan um, and our other partnership group just to learn this business. You know, what I mean, learn the business of entrepreneurship like in a big way, and not just you know having your your people on the calls and then they send you an email about what they talked about. It was yep. really hands on. Yep. And I got a chance to do it with some guys who I who I like, who I would hang out with on a normal like you know like yeah. you a golfer, Ryan. Yep. We all would hang out on a normal day, but, you know, somebody I respect so much from what he's built and what his family is built with Qualtrics and, and everything that he's trying to accomplish in Utah. So I just, I, I believe in people and I bet on people and um, I just bet it on Ryan and, and his family. Folks would love to know, you know, how you've been able to establish yourself as a part owner in terms of, you know, your roles and what you want to tackle around a team, whether it be through building culture, because you've seen it from every aspect in terms of the game of basketball. You played at the highest levels. You accomplished everything at the high level, at every level. Talk to us about, you know, how you're easing your way into and what's your sweet spot in terms of building, help building the organization. Yeah, so a lot of people think that I hire, that I, I can give them jobs. I need, I just changed my number recently. <laughs> I got so many text messages. Well, we've been talking about that. <laughs> we, nice we had spot. Willie Green on and then we had uh, Nico Harrison on yeah, and Harrison. we were talking about uh, how many phone calls you get once that news hits that you've in this position and they feel like you can just hire any and everybody. Yeah. And it is amazing from a coaching standpoint, from a GM standpoint, and then not from an owner standpoint. A family standpoint. Do family members think that it's working for Utah? (laughs) (laughs) Anybody you could think of from the standpoint of like, I can provide a job or, you know, I can get opportunities. And I understand it, right? We all need relationships and people in certain places sometimes to crack a door before. It's like, I get all that. But it it definitely has been like, I don't want this smoke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't do the hiring and the firing. That's not, like, it, I think people think because you're a part of ownership, like, I'm not, that's not my role, right? And yeah. so 
Ryan and I both, when we got together in this and I didn't know what my role was going to be. Uh, we were just going to like, we were just figuring it out. He had just became owner of the I mean, governor of the team mm-hmm. uh, six months before I even came in. And so we were kind of like in this together, learning yeah. on the fly. And so, you know, we, we knew very early that what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to put a basketball team together. We didn't want to be responsible for, you know, who's traded, who's fired, who's hired. Like we wanted to build a team and, you know, around build a team to be able to do that. And so my, one of my strengths is understanding what it takes to build a successful team, yeah. right. Is being a leader. Like that's one of my strengths as well. Like I got a chance, I've won three championships. I've, I've been a part of, uh, of teams. I've been a part of leading teams. And so I know my strengths. And once we was able to bring in Danny Ainge and we was able to, yeah. you know, to, to keep Justin Zinnick, who, you know, has a, all these guys have a lot of experience in basketball. Our GM was an agent 15 years before he was a, G, a GM. You know, Danny Ainge has been around the game 45 years, right? Uh, Fizz has been from video room all the way up to head coach of the Knicks and the Lakers. Like he's had so much experience winning championships in Miami. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to build a team around us that can handle, you know, the day-to-day, right? That can handle all the things that we're not good at and allow for his strengths and my strengths to just be, you know? And so I'm in, I'm actually enjoying being a part of this group, you know, as we all learn each other, as we all grow. We just hired a 34-year-old coach in Will Hardy, right, mm-hmm. from Boston. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of growth that needs to happen with all of us. And so it's cool to be able to be a part of a group that we're all, starting together, starting over together. And, you know, we have an opportunity to create, you know, what we want to see in a sense. And so that's the fun part of this. Perfect. Uh, last fun part, obviously, I know you got the ownership and everything, but what I've always uh, admired about you is, you know, how you are as a father and how, you know, Z-Way, you know, you got him, you teaching him and everything. How, how's that been in regards to, you know, having part of G Lee team and kind of like, you know, molding him and teaching him. I think he's been getting a lot of valuable, you know, yeah. play and everything from that situation. Has that been fun for you as well? Yeah, it's been, it's been, a, it's been fun. It's been stressful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, man, it's, it's my, my son is on his journey just like everyone yeah. else, yeah. you know, and um, it sucks because he's, he's my son and everyone expects him to be like me, yeah. right? Everyone expects him to be a three-time, you know, champion and 13-time all-star like immediately. Right. And they're not, you know, it's hard because they don't allow you to go through your growth, you know, journey. Yeah. And so and he don't allow himself sometime either yeah. because he expects it too. And so, you know, as a, as a parent, one, you want to give opportunities to your kids, right? You, you want to give resources to your course. kids. You work hard for those. Um, but at the same time, you want to, you want to allow your kids to be able to, you know, to, to feel like they've earned it as well. And so it's definitely like last year was a tough year for Zaire and I as father, son, as he's trying to figure out like, you know, what's the next stage for him? Is he running to adulthood? Is he jumping into adulthood and he's trying to accomplish his dreams as I'm trying to do the same thing. And so he got an opportunity last year, you know, to play in the G League uh, at Utah. And it was all about, you know, just trying to get him to to understand the game at a professional level younger. Yeah. Then send him to college with all the things that's going on. Because I love college. I hate that he missed out on that experience. But the temperature of the world when Zaire came out of Sierra Canyon, it changed. We was in the pandemic. Right. Uh, they opened up where you could everybody can transfer, and yeah. it just was a yeah. It was a scene that just wasn't. Yeah, players going from high school to G League and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you know, and but at the end of the day, he's still on his basketball journey. I don't know where the journey is going to go. He don't know where the journey is going to go. Only thing I tell him, and just like I didn't know where mine was going to go, 
But what I did know is I knew that hard work was going to take me wherever I was going to go. And so right now for him, man, it's just about him, you know, working hard at this game, continue to try to understand the game, continue to have, uh, you know, not a big ego, understanding that he has to get better, that he can get better. And as long as he's willing to put the work into that, it's a long journey. You don't have to end in the, with the number one pick. You know, this team selects Zaire Wade. Your journey can be, is yours, it's custom to you. And so, you know, as long as he's alone for the ride and he's willing to put the work in, you know, he he, he going to level out somewhere that, you know, he should. But I will also say, and this is, this is my uh, ET energy. Ain't nothing wrong with being born on third base. <laughs> no, because I, I'm saying all that because, you know, we were players in the league and we were always, you know, we would see who was in management positions, who was in, you know, who were the governors and who was next in line to take over their shares. And, you know, uh, we always talk about generational wealth and how it's passed down. But it's weird because I don't feel like we talk about it the same in the same sentiment as African-American yeah. men. Like we want to tell our kids, you know, you got to get it out the mud. Like I got it out the mud or, you know, the reason why you didn't quite make it is because you didn't have the upbringing that I had. So I got to get you to be tough. And it's, I have to remind myself sometimes, like I built all these things. All I got to do is put my son in a position to be able to be who he can be and he can be successful in what I've helped build for myself and pass it along to him. So uh, I think it's just amazing what you've been building. And, you know, uh, this would be my advice to Zaire and then even to Bronny and, and, and you know, Cayenne. You know, all our kids are around the same age. And you know, my son, Lil Dre, is, son, I just bought something and you can run it. Just be ready to run it when the time is right. You know yeah. what I mean? Because that's what they've been doing. You know, we always laugh about, you know, you were born on third base. Yeah, you really you you just had a base hit. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't yeah. hit a triple. You were born on third. Yeah. But, I mean... You've, you've gotten all these different tentacles that you've been able to, you know, expand and be able to touch. And um, I think a, another play that's been getting a lot of talk about lately is, you know, like Tom Brady just signed a 10-year, $375 million deal. Right. And to be an analyst, you know what I mean? And you're excelling at it. And that's, you know, one of the places that you've been able to have success in because I think you're well-respected. You know, we don't see too many hot takes from you. We see respected takes from you. But was that something that you always wanted to do or, you know, um, how did you uh, grow into wanting to be a, that to be a part of kind of your your brand or, or your your legacy to be an analyst? And then how hard is it to, for you to give constructive criticism to, you know, the players that you're watching? Yeah. Um, going back to Z, like we talked about getting out of the mud. He's not getting out of the mud. He's getting out of the sand. He ain't got me <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, unfortunately, like we we've God has blessed us with ain't no mud. It's right. sand. <laughs> like, oh, you ain't getting out of the mud because you ain't getting out of the mud. You get it out of the sand. Right. You know and and that's and that's okay. You just gotta be okay with, you know what I'm saying? With play your cards, play your hand. Everyone's always looking at someone else's hand. Play yours. Your hand is pretty damn good if you right. actually look at it. Right. Yeah, man. So when it comes to TV, I, it's something that I said I would never do. And this is one another thing where you shouldn't say what you won't do. Like <laughs> I, I tried it throughout my basketball career. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, I always enjoyed going to the TNT studio. Or, you know, one day I, I was on TV and I hosted with Kelly live, and you know, live with Kelly. And I've, I've done so many different things just to see if I sucked at it or not, right? <laughs> and once I retired, I was like, all right, guys, I don't want to do TV. I don't want to talk sports. I don't want to be one of those players that's on TV talking shit about the other players. Like, right. you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to be that person. And I didn't know what what the next step was, neither. And TNT was some people I was familiar with, with Tara and mm -hmm. Shaq. Mm -hmm. 
and Charles and Ernie and Candace. And, you know, so I was familiar with those guys. And I just decided to try it. I said, you know what, I give it a three year run to see if it's something that, I, you know, that I can do and I can try. And I did that. And I felt throughout the process, I did. I did. I was editing myself a lot. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all because of just the players. Like I had gotten the ownership in this process. There were certain mm-hmm. things I couldn't say. Right. You know, around free agency time, it's hard to be an owner up there talking about <laughs> talking about the state of the NBA. Yeah. And so it was it was a lot of a lot of juggling going on. And and but one thing I did like about it is one is the microphone, right? It's like you guys have a microphone, I have a microphone, and we have a responsibility with that microphone. And what I loved about it is that anything that I could, you know, think of, anything that was anything that was going on in the world, you had immediate, you know you know, echo or microphone to be able to send it out to the world or any point that I wanted to say on a team, on a player, I can say those things. So I try to approach it the way that I, that I could best. Uh, I don't know what my TV future looks like, but I definitely know that, you know, uh, it's there. It, it's always a part of the brand. It's something that I enjoy doing. I'm just that person that's trying to find like, what's next for me? Right. Like I did that. Like now I'm like, what's yeah. next? Uh, I'm not Dre. I'm not one of those hot take guys. I don't get no hot takes for me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, from that standpoint. Right. But I love the game. Like, I love the way that J.J. Reddick, you know, and C.J., I love the way they talk the game. I love the way that Drake can talk the game. I'm more of a person that I would love to pick up the phone and talk to guys more so than I want to be on TV talking to guys or about guys. Yep. I would love, I'm a mentor. Yep. I'm the guy, you know what I mean? I'm that guy. You're sitting on the sideline with, I'm got a jazz shirt or not. You can talk to me about business. You can talk to me about what, what I need to do in that game. Like, I'm going to help you the best way I can, right, through my experiences. And so TV was a little hard juggle for me. I can't lie, but it was definitely great to sit next to, like, Candace and Shaq and, and then Adam. Adam, who's now been invited to all Black cookouts. <laughs> like, <laughs> Lefko is a, is a dope individual. So I appreciated the platform. I just want to make sure, like, if I do TV again, I want to make sure, like, I'm a businessman, too. I want to make sure that it's strategically in my, like, yeah, it makes yeah. sense yeah. for why I'm doing TV. I'm not just on there being a talking head, but I'm actually there to accomplish something. And so I just kind of went in without a plan. And um, three years later, I'm kind of like, okay, now I need to sit back and see, like, what will my TV plan be if I continue that? So you were talking about mentoring players. Obviously, you have the, you know, the Donovan Mitchell. You guys are super close. But recently, Dre had a take where uh, he brought up a young player named Anthony Edwards. And he compared him to you, but he also said he think he might be more talented than, than you at the same age. To a certain extent, uh, you know, who's some of your favorite players you see? Who's who's out there where, you know, you're like, man, this is besides the usual, like the D-Wade and everything. Who's certain players you like to click on and watch? Strictly from basketball, not, yeah. no, or not being a governor, and we don't want to get another governor fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, you know what? Like, I'm glad you brought up Ant. So, I actually met Ant when uh, he went to Georgia. So, mm-hmm. Tom Crane, my, my college coach, oh, my yeah, cat, yeah. coach at Georgia, oh, yeah. um, when he went. And actually, my oh, son wow. was up there on the visit, and Ant was as well. This was before he skipped his senior season to go right to college. And I, I coach was watching film with him and with Zaire and I and all those things. And, like, I was like, damn, this kid is talented. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. watched him. He looked like he had a LeBron body in, yeah. in high school, right? That's, that's and true. so just while following him in Georgia and following his early career, like, I'm with, I'm with you know, Egg. It's like, I, this kid is very, very talented. And I'm 6'4". He's about, what, 6'7", six, 6'8"? Six, no, he's not that tall. He's only, like, 6'3 and a half. I thought, what? I thought, no. no, I thought he I was... I think he's, like, 6'5". No. Dre swears he's, six, he's four. short. He's 6'4". Mm-hmm. When I played him in a season, I heard he grew again. 
So yeah. I'm expecting to see, you know, a kid that's looking me eye to eye or above. And I'm looking down on him and I'm, bro, you only 6'4". No, you didn't no. grow that much. He was like, nah, who said I grew? He's 6'4". And that's what makes it crazier. Mm. The kid came at me full speed one time and he did an in and out. And there was absolutely <laughs> nothing I could do. I'm like, it's time for me to wrap it up. This kid, he, he's different. I mean, he's like you when he can change those directions and he can split yeah. pick and rolls and then he's explosive coming out of it. It's insane. And, and he knows all, all of it too. All, all he, all he <laughs> need is, he need two months of Miami basketball and it's over with. <laughs> he and needs two months of the culture. And it's over. Oh my God, that kid's got it. He got it, man. And he can shoot it too. Yeah, I saw him. I'm not sensitive to someone saying that a guy is like D Wade or, or it could be better than D. Like, that's what it's about, bro. It's about, like, we see players before us. Like, my game came from Jordan, Kobe, and Iverson. Mm-hmm. It was just a remix of all those guys. And game is probably a remix of mine and Kobe and this guy. And so, like, Ja, Ja game is a mix of a lot of a lot of small guards. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see me and him. You can see Iverson and him. You see a lot of, you know, explosive guards. So, for me, man, like, the game, from a talent standpoint, like, you love tuning in and watching young guys, of course. Who doesn't want to see John Moran, you know, play? Who doesn't want to see Ant Edwards play? You know, who doesn't want to, you know, want to be able to follow their their journey and their rise? Like, who doesn't who doesn't want to watch Luca? Like, if you love basketball, you want to watch Luca play every every night. Yeah, yeah. He loves Luca. Oh, Luca! Yeah, um, I like he, him too. He does everything. Like, yeah. watching him in person is way better than watching him on TV. <laughs> True story. True story. He, yeah. He's 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 a, he's that guy, right? Yeah. And so, like, the game from a talent standpoint and the top players in our game. It's so it's it's a, it's at such a an elite level yeah. from talent, mm-hmm. right? We know the game has changed. We know it's different than what we played and all that. But the talent level is like it's beautiful to watch from that standpoint. So, I mean, I'm 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 just a fan. Like I don't like I don't sit there and be like, oh, I'm better than him, or I, I don't do none of those things because like those guys got opportunity to see me, mm-hmm. just like I got opportunity to see the people before yeah. me. And so, like, yeah, they should be better at the Euro step by now. They should have mm-hmm. added something different. You know what I'm saying? Well, they reject should be better than my reject. Yep. Like, you got a chance to watch it. And and then so, yeah, man, I just think the talent level in the NBA is just, it's at an extreme rate right now. Well, we appreciate the time, man. We don't want to hold you up. We know you got a million tentacles out there. You just being able to go out there and, and, and make it, uh, the most out of the opportunities that you've been able to build for yourself, which is which is always why we we've we've always revered you and held you at a high level is because this guy, he really made the most out of his career. And we talk about what's the point of it all is just maximizing who you are. And I think you've done that better than anybody in NBA history. So I uh, appreciate you for being, you know, um, somebody we can look up to, you know, somebody that can motivate us, somebody that inspire us. And, you know, I always, I don't throw your name around light, lightly. So I know what Anthony Edwards can do. And and hopefully he picks up the intangibles because that's the biggest difference. You know, you had those intangibles that you don't see from elite players. And he just said that, you know, playing against the Heat. These ain't no prima donnas. These boys play hard. <laughs> so um, appreciate you coming on. Tell the family we said hello. And uh, Godspeed. Wishing you nothing but the best with the organization and everything else you got going on. Yeah, yeah appreciate yeah, you once again, D Wade. And tell Mrs. Wade, thank you for all her work to the universe. I always appreciate it. And uh go. Yo, man, we appreciate like like I said, man, you guys got a, you guys both have a microphone. And I think as a of course it's big and it's important in, in sport, right? From a from a player standpoint, like the like Dre said, the new medium, but it's also important in, in, in life, in the world. And so we all have that and uh you know, I appreciate you guys using that that microphone and like you know and saying what it is y'all feel. And, you know, it's it, it, honest and being honest. So keep it going, man. You know, uh, 
I hope to I hope to sit down with you guys again and talk about some more wins and maybe even some L's. <laughs> and uh, at the, on the next one, bro. For sure. Appreciate you. And that's it for this episode of Point Forward. For Andre Godala, I'm Evan Turner. I appreciate everyone for dropping in with us. Please rate, subscribe, and share. <laughs>